The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for June 3rd, 2022. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you in Austin, Texas. And baby, we are all about Biden on this Friday edition of the program. We are going to talk about Biden's pivot toward the economy. He doesn't want to seem absent on inflation And I got to say, with a few little caveats, I don't think that this is as baffling of a strategy as some of his others have been. We will also be joined by Bill Scher. He uh, has a new column out for Washington Monthly in which he says Biden learned the wrong lessons from Obama. And more specifically, from the legislative trials and tribulations of Obama. Even more specifically, that while Obama got things done, he didn't get enough. And he wasted time on the way to do it. So what is the accumulation and application of those lessons? A largely wasted first two years in office, at least according to Bill Scher whom I happen to agree with. We get into all that. And by the way, if you want a deep dive, and I mean, put on one of those old fashioned uh, uh, dive suits that has the bubble head and then the little window that you open and close. If you want that level deep dive into the Obamacare passage and the trials and tribulations of the public option, oh, baby. (laughs) Are you going to get that and more? But first, Joe Biden has a uh, new editorial in the Wall Street Journal, wherein, in my opinion, he has fired the starter's pistol on his midterm strategy. While it will no doubt be built out from here, what I suspect he is hoping to do is take his administration from a wartime catch-as-catch-can strategy, which he's kind of been in from the border crisis to Afghanistan, then to Ukraine. He has not dictated. He has been dictated to. And so this week, here it is, no more playing catch-up, We are going to play the music and everyone else is going to dance. And to start the concert, he's talking about inflation. Now, I know you guys love when I talk about journalism, so let's talk about journalism. There is no ambiguity as to why this editorial runs where it runs. He is not talking to the faithful. He is trying to talk 
to persuadable conservatives who are probably going to vote in the states of Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, and Vermont. That is, that is sorry, New Hampshire. Uh, uh, that is who he is trying to speak to here. Uh, it's not in the New York Times. It's not in the Atlantic. It's not in Teen Vogue. It's not in the Washington Post. It is in the Wall Street Journal, historically the domain of establishment Republicans and an institution that has not been shy about flashing never Trump credentials. And so we have the editorial itself for which now I'm going to say some positive things about Biden and and his his strategy so far, because I do think that it is fundamentally sound or at the very least competent. But I do just need to read this lead because I think it says so much about this Biden administration. Here we go. The global economy faces serious challenges. Inflation is elevated, exacerbated by Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine. Energy markets are in turmoil. Supply chains that haven't fully healed are causing shortages and price hikes. There is a strategy often employed in business. In fact, many of you are probably used to it. You also see this with creative endeavors. It's called the compliment sandwich, wherein if I want to tell you that your podcast is too long, I would say, I loved the opening theme. I think you have real pacing issues in the middle. But your overall message is fantastic and you need to get it out into the world. See what I did there? Compliment, criticism, compliment. The compliment sandwich. The criticism is the meat. What Joe Biden has here (laughs) is an excuse sandwich. An excuse sandwich. I'm going to break it down here for you. Because in my mind, If I am writing this, there is no doubt that the first paragraph, the first sentence, I also like one sentence leads, uh, if not one word leads. I, I don't know. It just, it brings you in. The first sentence has to be inflation is out of control or inflation is elevated. In fact, let's just take what he writes. Inflation is elevated. Boom. Three words. One, two, three. Everybody understands the problem at the at the very least, even if you disagree with what Joe Biden says past that, at the very least, we can all agree on one thing right now. Inflation is elevated. Let's start there. We move on. So he has he has the truth there, but he, he puts it in this excuse. It's not even a sandwich because no sandwich has three buns at the bottom of it. First, the global economy faces serious challenges. Uh, Translation. This isn't just us slash this isn't my fault. Inflation is elevated. Good. Perfect. Start there. But that's not even its own sentence. Inflation is elevated, exacerbated by Vladimir Putin's war on Ukraine. Energy markets are in turmoil. Supply chains haven't fully healed are causing shortages in price hikes. So 
We have Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine. The energy markets are in turmoil and supply chains. So it's like inflation is elevated. Not my fault, not my fault, not my fault. First, this is happening to everybody. Second, it's also not my fault. The other thing that I found very interesting about this is that Joe Biden is now a deficit hawk. Uh, let's go ahead and read directly from the editorial. Quote, we need to keep reducing the federal deficit, which will help ease price pressures. Last week, the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office projected that the deficit will fall by $1.7 trillion this year, the largest reduction in history. Oh, wither the days that Joe Biden allowed Bernie Sanders to shepherd his signature social safety net legislation. It appears that Biden now sides with Joe Manchin in believing that Americans view an increase in the federal deficit as being tied to inflation, for which I think is a wise decision. By the way, there was a moment in Iowa in 2020, and I was at a Mayor Pete event, and Pete trotted out being a deficit hawk Demo uh, Democrat, or at least a deficit conscious Democrat as a way to differentiate himself from Bernie Sanders. And I wondered then, I was like, wow, you know, that's, that's interesting. Interesting for Pete. It appears that that is now the opinion of Joe Biden, which is odd because I kind of, I don't know, he, he's, he's been in the Senate forever. So like he's had every opinion at some point, but that always felt like it, it fit more with his character. Biden also takes a shot at Rick Scott of Florida, who released a plan against the wishes of Mitch McConnell that indeed would increase taxes in some cases. That's easy win for Biden. So smart for him to go after it. Now, Biden followed this up and he mentions the Federal Reserve in this editorial, but he followed it up with a visit to the Fed where he effectively said, hey, Please continue doing things. Don't mind me. Now, this is interesting for two reasons. That A, he wants to acknowledge that it's the Fed's job to control inflation, but also he does not want to criticize nor direct the Fed. And I believe he's doing this for two reasons. First, Joe Biden very much does not want to be Trump. In fact, I think he wakes up every day and he taps a sign that says, don't be like Trump today. And Trump yelled at the Fed when the stock market wasn't going in the right direction, let alone if inflation was getting out of control. Second, and on the other side, he does not want to be Carter. Jimmy Carter famously dealt with inflation in a very harsh manner. He appointed Paul Volcker to the Fed chairmanship, and Volcker dramatically raised interest rates, putting the economy already dealing with inflation in a vice, leading to unemployment and Historically, it's seen as the curse of Carter's, uh, Carter's yeah, the curse of Carter's presidency. So the plan is to let the Fed slowly raise interest rates and hope that this cools inflation as supply chains continue to get back online. Now, there's one more moment that I do believe was orchestrated, but was not directly Biden related that I think is smart. And it's this economic problem facing the United States right now. But it wasn't just the president who got it wrong a year or so ago. I want to play for you what you said about inflation last year. Listen to this. 
Is there a risk of inflation? Um, I, I think there's a small risk and I think it's manageable. I don't anticipate that inflation is going to be a problem, but it is something that we're watching very carefully. Was it a mistake, Madam Secretary, to downplay this inflation risk? Did that contribute to the problems we're all seeing right now? Well, um, look, I, I think I was wrong then about um, the path that inflation um, would take. That is Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen with an act of contrition. I was wrong. Hmm. I, for one, applaud this. The Biden administration, and I think Democrats in general, have a nasty habit of trying to, quote unquote, expert themselves out of things. If you're wrong on something or public opinion is turning against you on something, just produce a list of 11 nonpartisan experts that say you're right. Oh, it's a magic cure-all. But at least this acknowledges what America sees plainly. You told me it was transitory. It wasn't transitory. It's here and it's a problem. And as we all know, admitting you have a problem is the first step. Politics, politics, politics is brought to you by the folks who give us money at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That is our subscriber program. That is our Patreon. That is your portal to getting two bonus episodes each and every week. Two. You're doubling your output of PX3 content. Man. I uh, 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 can't thank you guys enough. Can't thank you guys enough for sticking with us through the uh, through the 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 big travel election season. We didn't have a gigantic increase. I, I think we actually wound up losing uh, money because people were shifting their 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 donations around, which is like, look, I understand. Uh, we, we, we may or may not be currently in a recession. So I, I'm not going to cry uh, uh, if, if people got to readjust their budgets a little bit. That being said, the fact that I make the money that I make, the fact that we continue to stay at the level that we stay at means the world to me because it allows me to go out and cover these races the way I know that you deserve to hear them covered. If you want to keep this going, if you want to double your PX3 output, you need to go to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Our guest today is somebody for whom... Shares a bewilderment. Indeed. Why is somebody with the legislative prowess of Joe Biden so, well, impotent in his first two years? Well, according to a new book, it's because of some of the lessons that might have been learned the wrong way during the Biden administration. He has written about it. We will now talk about it. Ladies and gentlemen from the Washington Monthly, Bill Share is back on the show. Welcome back, Bill. 
always good to talk to you. What the what what is going on with this with this Biden <laughs> character, man? Like I I, I just you know he, he come. We talked about it earlier on the show on this episode. Uh, uh, his his new pivot to the economy that also has a lot of. Uh, uh, hey, uh, uh, hands off. Uh, 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 Congress needs to do stuff. And and also the Fed needs to do stuff as if him being legislator in chief was not the greatest talent that he had going into this. Like he was the Senate guy for Obama. He he was literally the Senate for so many years before. And, and now there is there is a hands off. And you wrote a great piece in, in Washington Monthly about some of the 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 legislative strategy that that came out of of the Obama administration and some of the people surrounding him that might explain why there has been so much futility. Yeah, I, I've, I'm definitely flummoxed by the way the Biden presidency has gone uh, because he ran on being the legislative maestro and he served that function for Obama. Yes. And and when people in the primary were dogging Obama for because there's this there's a critique that uh, he Obama bent over backwards too much for Republicans. He let the legislation get watered Pre, down. Pre-negotiated. Pre-negotiated, pre-negotiated is, is that 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 is that is the slur for which progressives will spit on the ground when it is mentioned. <laughs> and, he, and he wasted time. He wasted time in the Obamacare process chasing Chuck Grassley and the other moderate and other moderate Republicans uh, and couldn't get any of them and still compromised anyway. Uh, and Biden was the guy in the primary saying, hey, stop, stop, stop busting Obama's chops. Yeah, <laughs> we did great things. Uh, so it's weird that uh, and some of this information comes from the new book. This will not pass by the New York Times reporters, Jonathan Marr and Alex Burns, uh, that a lot of the people on Biden's team internalized the critique of Obama. Yeah. And vowed not to repeat those mistakes, quote unquote. Uh, and Biden, the book seems a little more conflicted about it. You know, there's actually a scene in the book uh, early on where he's talking to Chris Dodd, the former senator, yeah. who also was in Biden's inner circle. And Biden saying, "Dodd, you know, I want to get in there. I want to. I want. Let's make some magic happen." I'm not. I'm not quoting here. Yeah, yeah. Um, paraphrasing. Uh, and uh, Dodd's like, "I know, Joe, you're great at this stuff, but you're president now. You can't." You can't walk into a room without knowing what the outcome is going to be when you're president. So he was getting advice to back off. And yeah. I, I understand what, what Dodd's saying there. But nevertheless, you could conclude, you know, it's not Joe's job to literally do the horse trading no. without him, without embracing the critique that Obama tried too hard. Uh, and so what happened was. Uh, instead of Democrats, this is, this is what sort of you know, drove my interest in exploring this. The, the narrative that came in many respects from the outside of the White House, uh, the narratives that we weave on the internets and, yeah. in, and, in, and in newspaper columns, you know, a lot of it was driven by Paul Krugman at the Times, who was, who was complaining about Obama's strategy in real time in 2009. He pushed the wasting time argument and the stimulus yeah. is too small argument in real time. Uh, that that 
mattered. Yeah. It wasn't just idle chatter. Uh, it actually affected the way Democrats see themselves. Yeah. And influenced a president's strategy. So Obama, at the end of the day, uh, certainly in those first two years, said, what can get me to 60? What do I need to accommodate the determining vote? Yes. And that's going to deter my agenda. Uh, and so some people were complaining, well, well, Obama had 60, Biden only had 50. Well, Obama wasn't doing reconciliation. Yes. Uh, uh, so he, he was still playing for what does the determining vote need to get for me to get? Yes. Stimulus for me to get Obamacare for me to get Dodd-Frank. Um, and for Biden to say, you know what? Screw 60. I'm going to get 50. Hey, fine. I, I get the argument that 10 Republicans was a hard reach in a lot of respects. But if that's going to be your path, you still need to accommodate your 50th vote, your yes. determining vote. You need that. Uh, and. Uh, I certainly think in retrospect, it's not, it's not that Obama didn't push at all. He wasn't completely submissive. No, uh, he was still in. The, but he was still he's still the other day listening hard. What do what does Susan Collins, Olympia Snow uh, and Arlen Specter need for stimulus? There was a brief moment when there were literally 60 Democrats because Specter switched. Yeah. And Al Franken got sworn in. Yeah. And Ted Kennedy hadn't died yet. Yeah. But who was 60 in this? Then 60s Joe Lieberman. Yes. <laughs> or Ben Nelson. Uh, and they were like, we don't want public option. We don't want. Medicare buy-in for 55 and older. And so Obama had to say, you know what? That's where 60 is right now. So let's uh, let, 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 let's let's go back and circle in on Obamacare because that to me is the moment for which progressives become a, a, an animating force of, okay, we've lost faith in Obama, that Obama mm -hmm. is hope and change, but not the hope and change we wanted. And I, I do think that that has ramifications going into 2016. But if we're to zero mm -hmm. in on that Obamacare negotiation, where mm -hmm. I think the, the, you know, the, the, the Titanic splits after hitting the iceberg mm -hmm. uh, 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 ideologically on the left, it is the public option debate. And it's the public mm -hmm. option debate that is there to accommodate Nelson and Lieberman. And what's fascinating about that from the very beginning is that initially Obamacare didn't have a public option. It was only when it looked like it was definitely going that it had a, a chance for success that that the progressive argument became, well, here we are at the gates. We got to go for everything without understanding that, boy, this this is on a, a, a real thin line and you can call Joe Lieberman's bluff. You can call Nelson's bluff and you can say, Hey, we're going to put it on the floor, vote for it or don't. And I feel like that's the strategy that we got this time. And guess what? The answer was don't. The answer was no, <laughs> it was no for two people. And, and uh, uh, that, that is, that is uh, to me just, it, it was, it, it's such a logical leap to say, well, people will bow under public pressure if we just put it, there and it is an ignorance of how these kind of big time negotiations have gotten done throughout history where it's like yeah it might look like somebody caved at the very end but when you read the history books and you read how the machinations normally went it it's rarely because they felt bullied or they <laughs> felt you know cowed by public pressure it's because somebody gave somebody something or there was some kind of horse trading at the very end you know i can speak on the public option 
history for a long time and go really deep in the weeds with you on it. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy to do it. So I just want to warn Please, you. No, I mean, no, I mean, let's take, go. Take a long let's time go. Let's get our time machine. Let's go back to 09. <laughs> so I, I mean, I wasn't like literally in the room or anything. I'm not like, a, I'm not like a player here, but the group that I worked for at the time was really big in the public option push. Gotcha. Was part of the group that helped put together the 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 public option coalition that I'm being healthcare for America now. I mean, I work for healthcare America now. I work for a different group. Uh, uh, we were the people that actually took the idea of public option to the presidential candidates. Yeah. Uh, in 2007. Yeah. Uh, and sold it on John Edwards first. Yeah. And then and then Hillary and Obama come along. Um, uh, and I was actually for some inexplicable reason, like on the phone in the conference call where the Obama people tell us Obama is going to be for it. Gotcha. Uh, uh, and in that, con- in the, in that discussion, cause it wasn't like a big headline. We, when Obama put out his plan, this is again, 2007. Yeah. It wasn't like Obama for a public option. It was them on the phone saying, you see that footnote on page 10. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's where the public, we're like, you, did it. Really, you did it guys. <laughs> and you have, yeah, your, your, your jeweler's loop is in, uh, right. in your eye as right. you're trying to see it. So it wasn't a point of division in the primary no. because all of the main candidates got on board for it. Uh, and then there being the bigger point of tension was between Hillary and, and Barack over individual mandate. Yeah. And there was a point there where it became like the progressive thing to be for individual mandate. Hillary was better than Obama because Obama wasn't for individual mandate. Yeah. Like, and again, that, and that's largely a, a Krugman driven argument. Um, then when Obama, so public option is not, an issue in the general election. It wasn't the thing that McCain and Obama were debating over. Yeah. And when Obama makes his first statement on healthcare as president in 2009, he, he lays out his list of principles. Public option is not there. Not on it. It's only, and at this point, it isn't even like that big a thing in progressive circles, despite my group's best efforts. A little bit after that point, Howard Dean comes out. And says and he, and he, public is, op- he is he is DNC chair at that time, right? Uh, I think he is not DNC oh, chair. It's pre at that time. pre DNC Dean. No, no, it's it's post. It's post post DNC Dean. Oh, okay. I remember, I remember correct because he was okay. DNC chair in two thousand in in the in two thousand six cycle. Okay. All right. Um, then, then yeah. Sorry, we're 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 getting we're getting more in the weeds here. Go ahead. Because <laughs> uh, Obama tapped Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who everyone loved his DNC chair. Oh, of course. Yeah, um, universally just, popular. <laughs> um. My my congressman or congresswoman growing up, by the way. <laughs> um, so when Dean comes out for public option, I, I believe that was February, if I remember correctly. Uh, then it becomes like the thing. And of course, it's also in conjunction with the group coalition my group helped put together healthcare for, for America now, making it a thing. Yeah. Uh, and and this got kind of retconned during this process where a lot of progressives said, Obama promised us, he yeah. promised us public option. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I mean, he said he was for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, he didn't like set a blood oath that was going to be there. It wasn't, and, it wasn't. It, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was a, a, a campaign statement, not necessarily a promise that did not quite and be, elevate. And, and, to because, promise. and because I was paying attention so early in the process. Yes. And I saw, 
the, the initial statement of principles as president, I was always like, this is not his red line. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that's why I was really I was really disoriented. This goes progressives tried to argue with a lot of cherry pick quotes, make it seem like it was his red line. So, so uh, where, where, where does that come from, from your perspective, especially being being amongst uh, uh, the, the advocacy side? Like, like, how does it become something where it's like, well, you promised and now I'll be upset if it doesn't happen? Because my view from the outside is that as soon as the possibility of success exists, then all of a sudden everybody wants to add their thing to the tab. I mean, I'm speaking from memory here, so excuse me if I'm if I'm slandering inadvertently. My re- I don't want to put it all in this one person. I recall David Sorota, for example, making a big, big deal yeah. that Obama promised us this gotcha. uh, and driving that argument. I'm sure others did, too. Um, but it definitely was in the mix that uh, this was becoming an expected thing for Obama to fight for. Yeah. Uh, and then here he is for months and months and months trying to beg for Chuck Grassley to come over yeah. and for Olympia Snow to come over. Uh, and so this is driving progressives insane that this is not happening. Uh, and and so at the end of the day, he gets something passed. It doesn't have public option in it. It has individual mandate all of a sudden, which had been the progressive thing, but but now progressives don't even don't care about that. That's, yeah, nobody <laughs> cares about individual mandate, which was always going to be a, a more, you know, a, a, a very politically fraught situation, as we've seen right. in, in, but, in the interview. And the years. reason why that got in there yeah. is because the insurance lobby was like, we're cool with that. We're cool with people being legally obligated to buy our product. Yes. No, I'm sure. That doesn't, oh, make, that yeah. doesn't make us upset. No. But if you're going to create a government plan to compete with us, undercut us, then we're going to go scorched earth on you. Yeah. Uh, uh, now, in the insurance lobby didn't, you know, shower roses over the proposal, but I don't, I don't think they fought as hard as no. they fought Hillary because, Care because, in the 90s. Yeah, because it created an oligopoly of, of uh, protected, now legally <laughs> required insurance. And the insurance lobby then helped save Obamacare in 2017 by yeah. by going by 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 tank by attacking Ted Cruz's repeal proposal. Um, so, and if you go back to the to the Clinton Care thing, this is something else I think is uh, you know, Hillary and Bill were the Bernies, were the Bernie Sanders. They were fighting the insurance lobby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you remember the Harry and Louise ads. We haven't even talked about this in the better past show. No, um, no, here we go. Go, go ahead. Because I, I, uh, this is something that I, I have, I have uh, 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 the, the, the very beginning of my political awareness how, is something how, that. How I, old are you? Can I ask how old you are? Uh, I am thirty nine years old. So okay, so we we are we are about ten years difference. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, so you were probably not really paying attention in nineteen ninety three and four during all this. I, I mean, in the very beginning, the very beginning of me being aware of politics. I mean, it, there was this ad campaign run by the insurance lobby. There was the Harry and Louise ads. If you look at now, you you look at me like this was a devastating ad. Yeah. <laughs> this seems like so quaint, but it was literally like a. A uh, husband and wife around a around a kitchen table, piled up with bills, uh, tearing their hair out at how how expensive healthcare has become because yeah. of the Bill Clinton's awful, awful bill. Uh, and when those ads ran, the bill had not been written yet. Yeah, <laughs> the, there was a preemptive strike on the bill by the insurance lobby because Hillary was going to the country lacerating insurance companies. Yeah. So they'd be reason to believe they're going to get they're going to get hammered in this process. And so they were they, they were striking back and they told the White House, hey, 
you get Hillary to stop stop haranguing us and we'll pull the ads. Yeah. But the Clinton said no deal. This from their perspective, perspective, the whole point was to to, to, stick it to the insurance them. companies. Yeah, to try to try uh, to rally so, public support against insurance companies. So it was a completely Bernie style. Yes. War against a corporate interest. And what happened was the insurance lobby quintupled their fundraising through the through the battle and ran more ads. Yeah. Uh, and so the whole thing was became become controversial before it even got drafted. Yeah. So the Obama team, you know, Rahm Emanuel, who was in the, in the Congress at the time, he yeah. was aware of that history. He was breaking bread with the with these corporate lobbies, and more so with the drug lobby than the insurance lobby. The drug lobby literally created its own ad campaign with the Harry and Louise actors Jesus. To, do, to do Harry and Louise ads in favor of, of Obamacare. Obamacare. Yeah. Because Obama was going to give them a sweetheart deal. Yes. Now, and you, you tell this history, progressives say, this is why we hate everything. This is why we don't get nice things. Yeah. Uh, and so I understand that critique, but at the end of the day, Obamacare passed. More people got health insurance. The, I mean, it, it didn't go as far as universal care. It didn't go as far as Obama intended because the Supreme Court, you know, yeah. kind of cut a leg off of the whole plan. Yeah. Um, and then the Republicans take it. I mean, and, and I think this, this also goes on Obama's shoulders. The individual mandate was not a strong individual mandate. They were very nervous about having a stiff penalty with with tough enforcement. So it never uh, was fully yeah. implemented. And so when Republicans took away that pillar, you didn't even notice it because it was barely being implemented in the first place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway, also uh, smart, uh, in my opinion, smart. So smart anyway, to, that's, yeah. that's the long public option. Oh, so the other is actually I'm going to make it even longer. One more. Because, go, go, go. Because, I love it. I love it. <laughs> When the initial bill passed the Senate with 60 votes, it was because at this point, you know, Obama's still kind of trying. Harry Reid's kind of trying. But Joe Lewin says, nope, I was for public action before, and um, now I'm not. Yeah. Uh, actually, I you, he was for Medicare buying, which is kind of like a smaller version of public yeah. option. He said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not. You can't have it. Uh, you were mean to me in the election in 2006, and now you can't have it. Yeah. Um, and a couple other Democrats apparently were sort of like cheering Lieberman on there. And so Obama and, and Reid say, OK, well, this is what we can get for 60. No public option. Hey, Nancy Pelosi, you're going to have to shove this down the house's throat. Even yeah. though you passed the public option version and Pelosi being a realist said that's what we're going to do now after after the Senate passes a bill with 60 and it goes back to the House. The House makes some other changes. Yeah. And during this time, Ted Kennedy dies. Yes. Is replaced by Republican Scott Brown and Democrats don't have 60 votes anymore. So and if, I, if I remember correctly, part of it to get it back to the House were concessions to Nelson that then got stripped out in the House that then uh, was was part of of this process as, uh, as well. Right? I, forget, I forget exactly what the, the changes were. Yeah. But the, the point being. Because the House made changes, it had to go yes. back to the Senate where they no longer had 60. Yeah. And so the follow up bill became a reconciliation bill. Yes. And because of which did, which can be filibustered. And then the public option would say, hey, you don't need 60 anymore. Jam public option yeah. through. Uh, and that's where Democrats said we don't have 50 on public, <laughs> public option, option yeah. through reconciliation, which probably wouldn't even qualify 
for yeah. uh, reconciliation unless you did it through you could you could expand Medicare, I think, the reconciliation, but you couldn't create a whole new government program uh, yeah. through it. Um, so so there was an extra frustration that Democrats didn't get creative and push public option through that way. Uh, but it all comes down to what can you get with your 50th vote? You know, progressives were saying we did our we did a whip count and we have more than 50 for this. But it didn't say exactly what version of it that you could do with yeah. the reconciliation. And so but that's this is these how the narratives begin because people spin. Uh, so so, let, so me, let me let me let me let me let me see if if you know we can get kind of a, a drill down on this one idea. For progressives, was the capitulation to Lieberman and then the reconciliation without the public option when when you might have the final hammer there, is that worse than getting something? The the absence of getting everything being worse than getting something. Well, I mean, certainly my argument is Obama got something. More people yes. have health insurance but, 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 today. But, 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 Progressives, and this is this is this is what got codified, and I think this is also one of those things where, when you look at Obama's approval rating, uh, mm -hmm. you know, even through his reelection against Romney, and then certainly leading into 2016, the progressive argument that I have heard is, yeah, of course we lost in 2016. Obama betrayed mm -hmm. the left. He betrayed mm -hmm. progressives mm -hmm. by not going far enough when he had the the when he had the hammer. Well, I think that, that critique was even farther that Obama's policies weren't robust enough. They didn't help people immediately enough. They didn't uh, they didn't uh, affect their day to day lives and make them more financially secure enough. And therefore, you couldn't run on a strong uh, record. Uh, yeah. And, and look, a lot of times policymaking does not lead to astounding immediate outcomes. A lot of times it's by hook and by crook and things are imperfect and you do a little bit better over here, but a little worse over there. You got to keep fine tuning and adding, you know, governing is messy. But because there was this negative uh, critique on the whole record, again, also combined with uh, uh, that Obamacare took so long and wasted time and, and trying to get votes yeah. that you couldn't get. And what was the point of all that? Um, Let's do it a different way this time. Screw the Republicans. Yes. Use reconciliation to the max. Go yeah. big in what you're proposing. Since you're not going for, you're not straining for 60, you can go bigger with 50. This is why I feel like people complain to me, well, Obama had 60. Your argument is that you could do more with 50. So don't, so yes. don't tell me that the 60 thing means Obama magically gets bigger bills. Um uh, the point is, you have to go as far as the, the determining vote lets you go. So if you're going to go with 50, hey, have at it. <laughs> but figure out what that 50th vote but, needs. But, under, but, but, but uh, understand that Mansion <laughs> and Cinema are going to do the final draft on your bill because and they're but, the ones. And when, and when they were tapping the brakes, people were saying, how dare Mansion and Cinema get in the way? There's 48 of us and only two of them. Don't they know math? Don't they yeah. know that they're standing in the way of the majority? No, they make the majority. <laughs> yeah. They give you the majority. This is basic political science, basic legislative competence. You can only go as far as the determining vote lets you go. And so, yeah. so for Biden, this is where the, the, the biggest 
as of, of malpractice in my mind. I don't want to be, I, I'm not, I don't hate Joe Biden. You know, I don't, no. I'm not saying Joe Biden's a bad president and he shouldn't be reelected if he runs again and you should vote Republican in the midterm. I'm not saying any of that. There's yeah. still, there's still good that's happened in the past 18 months, in my opinion, but we, we should be honest about where the mistakes were. You go reconciliation for the American Rescue Plan. You slide in an expanded child tax credit without yeah. much debate. You do it for one year on the presumption if you go big and there's an immediate benefit in people's pockets, they're going to love it. Yeah. And politicians will be terrified to get rid of it. And it'll be really easy to extend it indefinitely after that one year point. Yeah. And, and a lot of it worked as intended. People did get their money. It did cut child poverty by nearly half. Uh, however, there were Democrats almost immediately afterwards saying, I don't know about extending it. It's really expensive. If we're going to do it, we're going to have to pay for it. And that didn't like strike fear in the heart of the Biden White House. I mean, the fact that I got in there in the first place yeah. without knowing they would have 50 <laughs> to extend it. To my boggles my mind. Um, yeah. I mean, Biden has been around long enough to know that you can't count your chickens before they hatch. So to slip it in there, not knowing you have 50 for an extension, and then tout it as like your biggest history making legacy achievement, only to see Joe Manchin say, Sorry, guy, I'm not with you. I mean, that's just that's just malpractice. But I, I think. All right. So there were there were two things uh, and one thing that that came out of that you've, you've mentioned a few times, but I do want to highlight that came out of the Obama era is the idea of never trust a Republican. The Republicans mm -hmm. are not here for you. They are not your friends. They will not. A bipartisan gesture is a wasted effort. It is wasted energy. Uh, 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 Mitch McConnell is the is the guy who pulls the football away from mm -hmm. Charlie Brown. Like that's where that's where all that. Uh, you know, gets in our modern era very much gets mm -hmm. crystallized. Uh, that being said, so we have that and everything else we've talked about in terms of the go big or go home. There's no need to pre-negotiate. Let's let's if we have 50, then we are going to jam everything that we need through their maximum pressure. The problem mm -hmm. with Lieberman was that he didn't feel enough heat and he didn't he didn't have to have his career flash before his eyes when he decided to vote yes or no on the Senate bill that we want, no matter whatever he wants. Like he's going to eventually melt in the face of this pressure. Mm -hmm. So those are the lessons that all kind of come together. The unfortunate thing for Joe Biden, and this is something that I'm, I'm sure you, you watched, you know, firsthand, especially through Obama, is that he's kind of the bipartisan guy. He's the guy who, you know, through, you know, made the connection between uh, uh, Obama and John Boehner because they both smoked cigarettes either <laughs> secretly or not. Right. Like that's, that's the kind of old Senate thing that he is, you know, so, like supposed to be at least in everything that I've read a very, very good at. And, and it's building the coalitions that are his thing. Whereas it seems like everybody around him and that ultimately had the loudest voices in the final decisions on how they went about things were no coalitions are useless. And in fact, we, we are not building a coalition. We are calling our banners. It is loyalty to Democrat overall. And if you don't vote for it, then you are going to be a traitor to our party. And we are going to openly talk about primarying you, at well, least in the case of Kirsten Cinema. There's a few things I want to say about that. I mean, one is if you, if you, if you read the book, this will not pass. 
uh, the takeaway I got from her was that Biden was genuinely conflicted about these two things. That there's yeah. a, there, there's the longstanding bipartisan aspect to him wanting to bring the country together, show that, that Washington can work and the Senate can work and he's good at this stuff. That was still in him. But he was also tantalized by the idea he was going to be more transformational than Barack Obama, who's going to be the next FDR. Yeah. Uh, this $1.9 trade American Rescue Man is just sitting there waiting to be, be picked off the tree and we just build on that from there. Uh, and clearly, the, as the evidence shows, he he leaned that way more. Now, he did yeah. do infrastructure. He did have a process where yes. he let Manchin take the lead uh, and craft the bill to his liking. And even after the whole song and dance with Build Back Better and the linkage and all that stuff, uh, they eventually break the linkage in November and the passing infrastructure by itself. So like, so like, on some level, you, you know, Biden knows that the center outweigh can work. And he knows Mitch McConnell well enough to know that there are things that McConnell will be cooperative on, but just, you have to deal with them, you know, in a steely cold. Yeah. Cold I, I think you've, you've, um, you, you've said it before and I totally agree. Uh, Mitch McConnell stabs you in the front. Like, right, like right, right. he's not, I, I don't, this idea that he is a, a, a Machiavellian in promising something and then taking it away. I have not personally seen. He is somebody that goes on television you know, uh, uh, he if you asked him right now in front of a microphone, mm -hmm. if we get the Senate and another Supreme Court justice dies, will you hold it until the election? Mm -hmm. He'll say yes. He'll say <laughs> like he's not going to be like, oh, he I might, don't know. Maybe. A little, a little, he might throw me a little bit of a wink and a nod there, but basically, yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, he's not coy about this stuff. And look, I mean, the, the irony of the past year is that McCon I think McConnell has been nicer to Biden than Obama. <laughs> I yeah. mean. They did it. He did infrastructure. He did debt limit. He did uh, the Ch the China competitiveness bill. Uh, he did the anti Asian hate crimes bill. Uh, he did, he's uh, letting he's June. letting Cornyn talk about guns right now. Right, right. I mean, I mean, look, Manchin's not going to give you the whole agenda. You know, he's not going to give you no. the whole progressive wish list. And so, if you don't want to be limited by by McConnell's stinginess, you're going to say, "Screw him, do reconciliation." And again, I'm like, fine. If you have 50 votes. And so you talk about wasting time. Yeah. Biden wasted months and months of time trying yeah. to get Manchin on Build Back Better and literally got nothing out of it. So I don't see Obama wasting time on Obamacare. He got Obamacare. He got something there. Um, he did what he had to do to get to number 60. Uh, so uh, and it, it, may, it may be that Manchin's the one critique is, well, Manchin's not was not bargaining good faith. Manchin was moving the goalposts. Uh, and it's hard to totally adjudicate that from the outside. You know exactly what he was being said. What, is, what he's saying internally. Yeah. Right. But we do know that Manchin gave an offer to Chuck Schumer in July of 2021 for 1.5 trillion. And for some inexplicable reason, Schumer did not share that with yeah. Biden and Pelosi right away. Uh, but we also that that Manchin had this offer in December. That was around 1.8 trillion, but it, it, but it put the kibosh on the child tax credit, and Biden was like, I don't know about that. And in that hesitation period, Manchin put a stake to the whole thing. Um, yeah. But and so and all of this says to me that if you had the heart to heart with Manchin. In January 2021. Yeah. How far can we go here? You lead the process. I know you're 50, as opposed to I'm going to put together this giant proposal the way I like it and try to foist it on you. 
That latter strategy was the time-wasting strategy. Yes. Um, infrastructure, where Mansion led it, happened relatively quickly. Yep. Uh, and what no, the only thing that was, yeah, yeah, the only thing that really stopped it was was the fight with the house. Uh, so, and and people convinced themselves, going back to McConnell, that McConnell's yeah. game was maximum dysfunction. Don't waste your time getting. You know, letting him twist your twist him around his finger because what he wants is to give you absolutely nothing. Yeah. So everything is terrible and you get blamed. Uh, yeah. And what and, and, and that wasn't wholly made up of whole cloth. Um, no. So I can pick things that McConnell has said to suggest that was his game. Uh, but you, you, you test the proposition. I, what I would have done is go for 60 on the American Rescue Plan. Go for 60. Yes. It would have been smaller. He got it Got it before. Got it before twice, right? Right. right. And I would have tried a lot harder there. I think, the, I mean, you could have taken the Collins offer off the top. It would have been a third of the size yeah. of the American Rescue Plan. Uh, but would it have destroyed America? I don't think so. And, I, and, you, and you probably could have moved them up. For the, you probably could have gone to around a trillion, I think. Um, yep. Do that. Do infrastructure. See what you do next. Go as far as you can with 60. Yes. And then say, okay, the well is dry here. Hey, Mansion, we really gave 60 a, a good shot. Now what can I do with you with 50? That, that, that's why I, I would have I, 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 so, I so agree with you. I so agree with you. And if you look at Biden's like tone now, I mean, I'll tell you what, man. Go and and if you, if you want to, you know, have this level of political nerdery, but like go watch – his joint speech to Congress, his first, uh, uh, you know, uh, State of the Union esque uh, uh, speech, and then watch the State of the Union that happened roughly a year afterward. And boy, is is the tone and tenor of the big progressive hammer Biden that exists in the first one. And then it's fund the police. Uh, uh, we need to reach across the aisle, Biden, one year later. And I think that Although that I'm is sure that is the dichotomy. And I haven't gone back and looked, but I'm sure it's the same with, you know, Obama's first ones, his latter ones and Bill Clinton's first ones. And then you have Arabic government is over. Yeah. You know, the, I mean, you should try as hard as you can to go big in your first year when you got no, but your honeymoon but, 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 period. But, but, but what we're seeing is or what we're saying, and I think we're agreeing, is that for Biden, especially coming out of the Trump White House, especially like in in a in a world where people had a lot of chaos and we literally just saw people storming the the Capitol, uh, uh, you know, the idea of let's bang out whatever bipartisan stuff that we can was, I think, a, a political opportunity left on mm -hmm. the table for him that when you talk about wasted time. Uh, boy, mm -hmm. that entire build back better. I mean, I regret just having to cover it for <laughs> six months. I mean, one other point, though, because I also think this this comes to the the misguided narratives coming out of Obama. Obamacare is literally the only bill that Obama signed into law with no Republican votes. He yeah. needed Republican votes and everything else. Now, maybe it was, you know, just a couple. Yeah. But again, he did what he had to do to get to 60. And this, this accounts for stimulus. This counts for Dodd-Frank. This counts for a don't ask, don't tell repeal. This counts for food safety regulations. This counts for an employment insurance extensions. This counts for the, the tax uh, reforms that got passed. Uh, everything he did needed some Republican vote. With Dodd-Frank, he lost Russ Feingold. Yeah. 
because it wasn't progressive enough. And so, so getting, you know, at this point, our inspector already switched parties. Yeah. Uh, and you had, you had to get Snow and Collins, the two moderates out of Maine. But without Feingold, he had to go to Scott Brown. And Scott Brown said, we got to get rid of this bank tax. Yeah. And Obama said, oh, I'll get rid of this bank tax because that's what's going to get me to 60. Because I, I, there's nothing I could, I think, I think Feingold, if I remember correctly, wanted to do the um, break up the banks proposal. Yeah. Um, and that was a bridge too far for Obama. Uh, and there's an argument whether that was because Obama didn't like it on the policy grounds or whether he thought it couldn't pass, be it as it may, whatever it is, he wasn't going to do it. And so he said to get the 60, he needed to accommodate Scott Brown's provincial interest. Uh, so it, it wasn't like 20 Republicans on most things, yeah. but you do what you have to do to get to 60. And if it's going to be 50, you do what you do to get to 50. Biden wasn't doing that. Uh, no. When he crafted Build Back Better, it was it was pressure, pressure and loyalty. That was that was the, the, the strategy. The, and, and it's a, it's a mis. People assumed, and and I understand again, it's not completely fantastical. Manchin did vote for the American Rescue Plan. Manchin yeah. did he and he, and he was he, he was complaining about partisanship. Then still voted for it, and so people assume you know Manchin does the song and dance. But he's with you at the end of the day because he's a Democrat. I mean, I get I get the thinking, uh, but clearly, in retrospect, too simplistic of thinking. He was complaining about bipartisanship early and indicated that he was doing this reluctantly and did not want to continue doing things that way. This is why you don't base your your legislative strategy on. A few cherry pick comments. You get in a room and talk to them privately and figure out what's really going on. That that is a thing that I feel like has uh, increased the more that politics has become mainstream uh, and and people that normally like me and you, we're old barnacled nerds about this. Like we would talk (laughs) about this to the point where we would bore a dinner party uh, uh, 10 years ago. Right. Uh, uh, but now it's a thing. People want to talk about it a lot. What winds up becoming more in the mainstream are those cherry pick quotes, are those cherry picked arguments, are those very politically shaved realities. Whereas like, like, yeah, look, when you're running for office, when you're trying to shape public opinion, I get that these things are out there. The reality is a lot more complicated and and the reality are in these books about, you know, the the little chapters of history and how the nitty gritty negotiations have gone. And if you only believe the frosting, if you only believe the narrative, then it's very easy to put yourself in this fantasy world where all it takes is just, you know, that one big fight and that one finger in the face of the senator. say you better get on board, mister. But that's not how it works. It's never how it's how, how it's worked. Like like you said, you get to the number that you need, and that's it. And then once you pass it, then you highlight all the great things about the bill. You downplay all the negative things about the bill that you had to do to make it cross the finish line. One thing that also drives me a little batty is that Democrats have told themselves that Republicans do what they want all the time. Republicans blow through every norm possible. <sighs> yeah. And so why should why do why have to why do we have to be the goody two shoes? And I have to remind them, you know what? George W. Bush ran through those tax cuts really early through reconciliation, but he had to get Democratic votes for it, which he got. Uh, and 
those those moderates would not let him make those tax cuts permanent. In fact, Bush was shaking his fist all through a second term, make my tax cuts permanent. And they wouldn't do it. And because they didn't do it, Obama was able to undo the lion's share of them in regards to the upper uh, income brackets on the wealthy, which is what Bush really cared about the most. Some people say, well, they 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 kept most of them. They kept most of them for the middle class. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What Bush wanted was to cut top rates for the wealthy. That's why you didn't get the key. Um, And then Donald Trump, Obamacare repeal. They, they tried to ram through well with, with 50 votes and, you know, Collins and Murkowski and McCain, you know, wouldn't let them. You know, they they had the same problems, too, trying yep. to do too much with the little majorities that they had not listening to where the determining vote is. They they are just as bound by political math as Democrats are. you got to read the room if you're going to actually get stuff passed. I'll tell you what, that's the best way that we can go out on this particular conversation. Uh, Bill, uh, what do you have coming up? You know, I'm actually working on a, a piece right now about, uh, you know, Biden and guns in the economy. You you alluded to this right at the very top, that Biden's all of a sudden talking about the economy. Yeah. And, you know, to my mind, that's a signal that he knows inflation's going to determine November, not Guns. Uh, he's yeah, not. He's I, not I single-minded, focused on guns. And, and Democrats have almost never been single-minded, focused on guns. And the public is never single-minded, focused on guns. Our attention always wanes after a couple of weeks after a yep. horrible mass shooting. Um, but having said that, I don't think that necessarily means that we can't pass something. And this may be a case where Biden's going to do better than Obama, because. Yeah. In the Obama case, he actually, I might have said this on a past show, um, he was going to push immigration immigration reform first in the yeah. second term. And the Ducks were kind of lined up for it. Then Sandy Hook happens, he feels morally obligated to try to do Act gun control, guns. Which, yeah. which he didn't really run on in either election. Uh, yeah. He was very low key on guns, uh, arguably helping him win in a lot of you know yeah. reddish places. Uh but they feel that they have to. And Obama comes out in January, a month after standing with this giant gun control plan, which has no shot of getting passed. Yeah. And here's where I think wasting time does matter because people's attentions do fade quickly on gun control. You got to really act quickly to get something passed yeah. there. They lose that momentum. He has to settle for the mansion to me, narrow background check bill. And at that point, the momentum's gone. They can't get the 60 on it. Biden maybe playing a lower key role here, letting Chris Murphy talk to Republicans saying, hey, what can you what can we get? What can we get 64? It's probably if it's going to be something, it's probably going to be small, probably going to be a red help for states with their red flag. Programs. I think that, that's that that's the most likely in my in my opinion is that is that, yeah, it'll be money for states to run red flag laws. And, and you know, you will you will know that it has got momentum if two things happen number one Mm. i agree you start to hear little background things of like well you know joe biden has been uh uh uh, you know helping out with x y or z because that's Mm -hmm. always a a sign that it might be closer Mm -hmm. to to the finish Mm -hmm. line and b if people start talking more about successes of it in florida because that mm-hmm. will moderate yeah. it in a way. It's like, well, if Florida's well, doing well, it. Was, I mean, what Chris Murphy said the other day is he's trying to tell Republicans, you can do this 
and be politically successful. I mean, Biden saying, hey, Mitch McConnell, he's rational. John Corn, he's rational. Chris Brewer's like, hey, yeah. this, is, this is not to beat you up upside the head in November. This is going to be good for you. This is going to expand your, yeah. your support. They're trying to, to strike those bipartisan tones. They're learning the mistakes, I think, from the past year. And in doing so, might do better than Obama on this score. I I would I would tend to agree. I I think that Biden, you know, uh, it's like the old the old parable of the 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 frog and the scorpion. At the end of the day, you cannot <laughs> outrun your nature, and uh, <laughs> Biden's nature is the bipartisan guy. The fact that that he, <laughs> he masqueraded for two years as something other, I think, will ultimately be a mistake. Uh, what's not a mistake is our lovely conversations with Bill Share <laughs> of the Washington Monthly and many many more outlets. Please go find his writing there and everywhere. Thank you very much, Bill. Thank you. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Our show is edited by Brett Stewart. PX3Guest.com is where you need to go to tell Bill Sherry did a great job. You guys know how much that matters, so please head on over there right now. You can always email me, theyoungamerican at gmail.com, and our Twitter is PX3Tweets. When I'm live on the internet, I'm at PX3Live.com, and you can share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy at PX3Podcast.com. You can get your merch, politicsmerch.com. You can support this program. PayPal.me slash payjury. Venmo is Justin-Young-20. And our cash app is at PX3Cash. You can send anything that you would like to me in the mail. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And the $10 tier gets your name right at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic $10 tier. Vigard, Alexis, Neil of Neils, MC Dradio, Unsafe DB Levels, Katie, Double K Ranch, Amanda, Ye Open Ball Shop, John, DP4 Bongo, Neemeister, Nick's Horseless Diner, Catherine, persons familiar with the matter, and vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. 100 Mile Runner, Edison, Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, BA, Start, Dr. G, Headphones, Neil, Charles, Darren, Idris Arslandi in Blue Front and the Lenina DL, Stephen, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Diana Shrill, Shrieks, Miranda Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome. Brad, Richard, D Laser, just another pilot, Middle Age Mike, Utah, Jimmy Montana, The Gen, Adam L, D Really, Chopper, J Pink, Andrew, and Joshua. If you'd like to hear your name, Red. You can head on over there. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Another hot weekend, baby. Get on out there. Drink some Topos. Some White Claw. Just hydrate. Also, just hydrate. A lot of water. A lot of water. Be a hydro homie this weekend. We'll be back next weekend. We got some fun stuff for you. Till next time, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying... Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this is the only show that dares discuss all three.
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.